Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Positively different radio in the morning and you're with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson. Lawson, it's good to have you back on the show again. Oh mate, it's great to be here. How was uh, Kingscliff? Oh, it's fantastic actually. <coughs> I had such a good, oh man, I have so much to be grateful for. Um like, Kingscliff was amazing. I went up there, hung out with uh, this year's Arise students, um, and just had an awesome time. Uh, so, so, I spent uh, for about five days up there from Wednesday night till um, Monday morning. Oh, I guess you could say that's four days. But, but yeah, um, I got up there on Wednesday night, and I hadn't lined up a place to stay. So, I slept in my car and was working up at 5.30 a.m. to a car alarm of the car that was directly beside me. But that's nice. fine because I get up that early for radio anyway. So Absolutely. I'm like, I'm like oh, sweet. Um, and then spent the rest of the days literally, you know, in the classes and then... Hiking. We did so much hiking and we would hike to a spot and then jump in our swimmers and jump in like these lakes and waterfalls and stuff, which was amazing. Um, then of course going to church in Kingscliff, which is always an, uh, incredible experience. Ty Gibson was speaking. Um, and then yeah, heading, heading out on Monday morning and, and getting back here in time for, uh, what I've been doing for the last, uh, couple of days, which is, uh, Newcastle Uni O Week. I've been a part of the ASOC booth there. And yeah, God has just been blessing and we've been able to connect with a bunch of people. So it's been really awesome. I, I just don't even know what to say, Lawson. You, your life, you're just living the dream. I've just had a. Just living the dream. It's like. It's it's like jammed in blessings. It's like how many blessings can I just jam in <laughs> to a few short days? It's just like yeah. squeeze them in and go hard. Oh, it's been so good. And we're continuing that today as well at the Newcastle Uni. We have the ASOC booth set up and we're continuing to yeah, reach out to the students there. And, and it's just been such a blessing. Well, what are you grateful for this morning? <clears throat> well, while you were doing having all those fun things, I've been back here Coughing my guts up. Yeah, I can hear. Sick, <laughs> unwell, struggling. I've been really sad. <laughs> it's just been terrible. This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. So I've got something to be thankful for, and that is for the last few days I've been filling out mountains of paperwork, and I think it's all coming to an end. So, yeah. Wow. Just not up there with, just not up there with yours, Lawson. Moses was just a baby boy. When his mama put him in her boat and the river took him home. He met a pretty princess, but it wasn't enough. Till I heard a voice from a burning bush saying, Tell old Pharaoh to let my people go free. David was just a shepherd boy When the prophet said he would be king Even though he was the youngest son He heard about a giant 
went to see the king, grabbed a bag of petals and it sung his sling. And the rock of ages brought the mighty giant to his knees. Well, you may feel a bit insignificant when you're standing next to one of those men. But there was nothing special about him until they let the Holy Spirit in. And with a mighty hand, they took their stand while everybody else is making cheap talk. It's not the size of the man that matters. All that matters is the size of the rock. Have you heard about the baby king? Heard those herald angels sing. He was the father's only son. Taught us about heaven, we nailed him to the tree But in three days he was alive and free Because the heart of the rock was mightier than the stone So the next time you feel insignificant When you're standing next to one of those men Like there was nothing special about ya Just let the Holy Spirit in Is making cheap talk. It's not the size of the man that matters. All that matters is the size of the rock. Mighty hand. Take your stand. I'm talking to you. Jesus is the only one that will carry you through. All that matters is the size of the rock. Welcome back, everybody. That was the Emmanuel Quartet with Size of the Rock. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. We're about to launch into our quiz, so get ready to give us a call on 1-800-FAITH-FM. Lawson, go for it. Who am I? After giving me food and water, my husband sent me off. I went on my way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. We were talking about this person yesterday. Oh. Just write their name down there. Um, Off air. Lame. In between between, uh, sections, we were talking about this person because we were trying to find whether there was a song about this person. Oh, okay. And I don't think we found one. Um, I'm getting blank looks from the the producer, but I don't think we found a song about uh, this particular person when we went looking. Mm. Anyway, uh, if you know the answer, which you won't from listening to Faith FM because it was an off-air discussion, okay. uh, 1-800-324-843 is the number to call and a prize will be coming your way or text us on 0491-064-669. Oh, that's so disappointing. I love offering people double prizes. But no, it's, it's fantastic. <coughs> prizes up for grabs. Give us a Cool. So, as usual, when me and Lyle do the radio, I usually um, cover what's called the the good news, the positively different news. Lyle gets into the more serious stuff, but um, man, you're gonna hit us with you just gotta hit us with some serious stuff. Some today. serious stuff. I was 
compelled last night. Um, I, I went out with my mum and we went to, we're in Katara, which is like the big shopping center here in Newcastle. Um, and there's an organization called Movies for Change. Uh, and they basically rent a cinema once a week and play different movies um, from, you know, independent um, producers and film studios. Cool. Um, and whatnot. And that particular night, they were playing uh, what's called uh, um, the movie called Andy Irons' Kiss by God, which is the story of professional surfer Andy Irons, um, which I I didn't actually know about it until I started watching the movie and I realized I'd heard this story before, the story of Andy Irons. So, basically, Andy Irons is this dude. He's from Hawaii and he's considered one of the greatest and most talented um, and influential surfers of all time. He w- he won three um, WSL tours, uh, so like three world championships from 2002 to 2004, like on on the bounce. Um, and like we're talking about a guy who made it, who was an incredible surfer, uh, who lived an incredible life, you know, who earned money from that. Like just awesome dude. Um, but basically, his life story is that he then died at the age of 32. 32? Yeah, so incredibly young um, from a heart attack. And it was, you know, <laughs> something that, like, when it went down in 2010, when he when he passed away, at the time, he had uh, a wife who was eight months pregnant, uh, Lindy Irons, and, you know, a kid on the way and, and all this stuff. And he died in a Dallas hotel room, you know, waiting for a connecting flight to go back to Hawaii. It was like just sent shockwaves. Yeah, what on earth? Yeah, it was it was wild. You know, young guy who dies at that age from a heart attack. Yeah, it was insane. Until what was uncovered um, was that this was actually you know a heart attack that was induced by drug abuse, um, and from that point the floodgates really opened into this guy's life story. To the eventually, you know, in in twenty nineteen they made this movie about him, really uncovering the struggles that he had. Um, you know, this guy's story is basically, you know, from the age of 20, he was diagnosed um, with bipolar. At that time, he did a little stint on medication, but from there was just like, look, I'm going to self-medicate. I'm going to work this out by myself and just spent the rest of his life and his career going, you know, flipping between WSL world champion, like amazing guy to all of a sudden he's abusing um you know illicit substances and then eventually what really was his undoing was the abuse of prescription medication um that you know he'd received for for injuries specifically oxycontin and and that kind of thing and it's one of the great tragedies of the sporting world that this guy passed away and i just felt so compelled watching that movie um last night to to get on here and, and talk about it because it is such um it is such an epidemic specifically amongst young people the 18 to 25 range um has just incredibly high statistics on on people abusing prescription medication um and that's starting as you know unresolved unresolved mental health issues that are just being self-medicated with um yeah, with prescription medication. So basically, this guy had, was diagnosed with bipolar. So then, of course, he has access to bipolar medication. But rather than using that, he uses what pain medication and those. Yeah, kinds of- but also you know illicit drugs. So you know, big into like there was a one point where he started abusing heroin, and it was just really right. Like this all come out, and it's just it's just been such a like a like. Oh, sent a wild message um, to the sporting world, especially. And I know, 
Um, I had a, a bit of a run-in with this as a 16-year-old. Um, yeah, because you competed at elite level in sport as well. Yeah. Um, basically, like, I, you know, I had a struggle on a much smaller scale. But basically, when I was about 16, um, uh, I was, you know, living in Spain, <laughs> racing in the Junior World Championship. Um, I then went to do some riding in Malaysia and the Philippines, and I picked up some gnarly virus. Um, and I was at the track one day and I was like just struggling, like had, you know, mucus coming out everywhere, sweating, headaches, like I just couldn't kick this thing. And, um, a a guy on my team, one of the mechanics had this prescription level medication. Um, for one time he caught like some hectic virus going to, he went, I think he went to Africa or something and they gave him this medication that was basically full of pseudoephedrine. Uh, which is, you know, the main ingredient that they use to um, make uh, methamphetamine. But basically, it had enough pseudoephedrine in, in one pill that if, you know, if I took this pill and did a drug test that day, I would have been popped by water immediately and suspended from racing. Yep. But I remember just going through that struggle and having so much pressure on me to perform. And, and you know, I took this pill at a test and I was like, man, I feel a lot better. And, and this guy, he was, you know, he was done with it. He wasn't using it because he had overcome his the thing he was struggling with and gave me this bottle of prescription medication. Oh, he gave you the bottle? He gave me the bottle. Ooh. And from that point, yeah, um, I ended up like, I got to the point where for the at the last round that year, the 2015 Junior World Championship, I was taking like five a morning, five a lunch, like abusing this medication because I was oh, struggling so this. much. And it was it was actually like my my coach and my sister who was managing me at the time, they knew I was doing something but when they kind of found out the gravity of the situation the postseason test they like kind of they were like oh man this this is gnarly and um i remember going going back home to 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 cartagena in spain and then spending the next week like basically just in my apartment and i had no access to the medication and i fully went through withdrawals and come out the other side and but that was preemptive to the struggles that I would later have um, with alcohol, you know, before I came to the Lord. And but yeah, just reading some of these statistics, like one in seven, um, one in seven people, you know, under you know between the ages of eighteen to twenty-five in, in America, are abusing prescription medication. Say those stats again. One in seven people in America are abusing are abusing prescription, prescription. medication. You have got to be it's kidding. it's. A that is out pandemic. of control. Pandemic, and I could tell you a thousand more stories of friends that I have. Not only in the, it, it's big in the sporting world because injury is so pre- prevalent. But people outside of that, you know, guys I know who did a stint on oxycotton because of a back injury and then got taken off the medication and then you know turned to abusing like you know taking eighty Panadol pills a day. Like it's just the most wild terrible thing and it just grabs you and like for this guy andy irons to die at 32 years old from a heart attack you know with like a guy who made it a guy who had such an amazing life and an amazing wife and a kid on the way to struggle so much to die at that age so, so, it's just when you talk about taking 80 panadols a day that's like having a breakfast bowl full of panadols and just sitting down and like okay this is my breakfast yeah with a spoon add some milk and away you go yeah that's not a life. It's it's not. It's like it's just and without it, like you know, the withdrawal and that that people go through is wild. But I just wanted to 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 let people know, like 
you know, this is something um, that people struggle with. This is an epidemic. Uh, but at the same time, this is something that is so treatable. And especially in Australia, we have so many resources to deal with this yeah. to the point where it's government subsidized. Rehab centers can go under Medicare, like fully. Yep. There yep. is like leg- legitimately, you can s- just type into Google drug rehabilitation centers or methods or whatever it is. You will get a ton of help. And obviously, from my perspective, one of the biggest things that helped me with that, um, with my struggles with alcohol specifically, was coming to the Lord. Yeah. And so I really want to encourage people out there if you're struggling with those kinds of addictions, if you're struggling with those things, please just reach out um, to any yeah local organization or whatever it may be, because there is so much hope and you can come out of it doing so well. Right now, CC Winnings with Why Me. To deserve even one of the pleasures. I've known Tell me, Lord What did I ever do That was worth loving you Or the kindness you've shown Souls 
Welcome back, everybody. That was CC Winnens with Why Me. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. We're about to have another clue for our quiz. Get ready to give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. Okay, here we go. Who am I? The angel of the Lord told me that he would make my son into a great nation. Okay, so this was the mother of a great nation. Who was the mother of a great nation? 1-800-324-843 is the number to call or text us on 0491-064-669. We actually... We actually have a prize for this. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We do. We it's do. called Celebrations Living Life to the Fullest. Now, this is actually a health, um, health-related health book um, and how we can, yeah, basically use natural means um, to improve our health exponentially. That's something that people always get into this idea that health is something. And it's like you can go too far and then you just don't care. And, you know, I don't know. It's this, like, from my experience, health can be improved exponentially and you can just be so blessed by good health. So, yeah, this particular the book um we're giving away celebrations living life to the fullest if you know the answer to this quiz absolutely so give you us a call 1-800 be blessed 1-800-324-843 i butted in okay so while we're talking about um yeah well anyway <clears throat> my question this morning is this okay what are the worst kind of people on the planet <laughs> I don't know. I don't ponder that often. Yeah, I haven't honest. pondered that often this morning, but this morning I spent some time pondering that question. You know, what are the worst kind of humans? There are some really, really terrible humans oh. on our planet. Well, you've got to think of like people who commit terrible crimes against other okay. people. <laughs> let's start with terrible crimes against other people and let's raise the bar one step further from there. Mm. People who do terrible crimes against other people for fun. Oh, yeah. So that would, so like psycho. So, so, so on, the, on the basis of that, I've come up with the worst humans on the planet are people who run tobacco companies. Oof, oof, ooh, big. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, ooh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Big one. All right, right let's let's talk about it. Okay, okay. So let's let, let's go there. Let's let's think about this for a moment because your tobacco companies are and and the, and the people who run them. No one is. No one on earth is ignorant to mm. what this is doing. Oh yeah, they know very, very clearly that they are causing people to die the most horrible, miserable, painful, horrific deaths. Mm. And the reason that they are running these companies is so they can make money and have fun. Yeah, fully. It's that 100% that is the only reason that they are running these companies. They would mm. not be doing it for any other reason at all than they have no good motivations for running these companies. Yeah. So, therefore, I find a class of people who um, purposefully, knowingly destroy people's lives in the most agonizingly painful way possible purely for the fun of that they can get from it by making money. Mm. And I really want to point out, like, uh, and talk about, like, the fun now, I side of it because I it's shouldn't, real. I, I shouldn't really um, – maybe I shouldn't say they're the worst kind of people, but it's the worst kind of thing that a person can do. Mm. Yeah, it's it's awful. Now, if you're doing the worst kind of thing that a person can do, mm. then that does not reflect well on you, even though I cannot judge you as an individual. Sure. It certainly doesn't reflect well. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, my, 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 I've got my blood up on this one at the moment. So um, <clears throat> we're going to talk about um, vaping for a moment. You on TikTok? Oh. No. Are you? 
<laughs> what do you reckon? No, I, re- TikTok. Oh, I don't know. It's kind of funny. I, I see the compilations like that people put on YouTube and Facebook. I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny. But no, I, I do not partake in the, the trends of the young kids. I'm 21 now. I'm oh, old Oh, man, lad. he's getting uh, old. <laughs> okay, so here's, here's, the, uh, here's, here's, here's an interesting stat for you. Hashtag vape tricks. Oh, <laughs> right. Has just hit 300 million views on TikTok. Yeah. 300 sure. million. That's massive. And what is happening is a massive uh, surge in uh, nicotine addiction mm. that is yep. coming through young people right now, and it's blindsiding parents. Mm. They have no idea. It's just catching them completely off guard. They're being completely blindsided by it. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to talk to their kids about it. And it's being peddled by nicotine companies, cigarette companies, uh, as a way of retaking a market that they had lost. Mm. Uh, And so what it's doing is we've got a massive resurgence of smoking um, and there is very, very little positive research. In fact, there's only really one piece of research that says vaping is any good. And that came out, you know, at the very beginning of vaping, before it had, you know, had the 10 or more years worth of um, real-world testing that it has now and has shown to be that this is a really horrific thing to be involved in. Mm. Um, and, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it's just, it's, um, yeah, just taking the world by storm um, because basically what it's doing is it's making smoking cool again. Mm. So smoking, you know, I can remember when I was a kid, smoking was kind of cool and you could buy these candy sticks that looked like cigarettes and, you know, kids could hold them in their fingers and pretend like they were smoking because mm. smoking was kind of a cool thing to do. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, that was the 1970s. By the time I was leaving school, it had become pretty much the idiot factor. And now it's definitely, if you, you, you've got a young yeah. person, you pick up a cigarette, yeah, that's definitely hashtag idiot factor right there or Darwin Award. You know, mm. it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a sign of, you know, some person who is, um, <clears throat> yeah, just not really doing well whatsoever at all. But what vaping has done, it is normalized smoking again mm. and brought back the cool factor. You yeah. can see that happening when you get, when you get, Vape, hashtag vape tricks that gets 300 million views and that doesn't even count the views it's getting on Facebook and Instagram yeah. and everywhere else um, which you know ex-gens like myself use um, <clears throat> that that tells you that you know this is um, this is really coming back hard and we need to be being very proactive about it because it's going to destroy the lives of so many young people. The simple reality is that inhaling anything other than air is not a natural process. <laughs> you know, we, we were made to, made to inhale air. Yeah. And once you start inhaling anything other than air, that is not <clears throat> natural. Now, this is what really, really gets my blood boiling is that the nicotine companies that are pushing this... Um, this smoking of research, you know, this resurgence in smoking uh, through vaping. Of course, they know that it's addictive. They know that you know they've got a product here that they can get young people addicted to, and the younger they can get them addicted, the longer they can hold them in addiction, and the more money they can make out of them before they kill them. Mm. So basically, what their tactic is is to grab hold of kids, suck as much money out of them as possible before they kill them. Mm. So they can have fun with that money. 
Mm. And this is this is why I say this is one of the worst things a human being can be involved in. He, okay, so here's what they're doing: they are making candy flavored nicotine yeah. uh, vaping products and advertising them with cartoon characters. Yeah. Okay, it's- you know when that happens, they're not targeting me with those ads. Mm. You know, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be attracted to candy flavored smoke or cartoon characters. They are targeting kids that are in their single digits. Yeah, wow. And you see something like that happening and you have to ask yourself the question, do these guys have any conscience whatsoever at all? And then, like, when it comes to the fun factor, they're then funneling that money into, like, shell companies that... So, this is, like, one of the big controversies in the sporting, in the motorsport world at the moment. There's this company called Mission Winnow, which is, like, sponsoring all the big teams. But that's just basically Marlboro that's been rebranded and... Like, you go on their website and actually it doesn't tell you anything about them. It's just like this company that exists that's getting money, you know, pulling money out and then sponsoring big teams in motorsport and having fun, as you said. Like, it's just this crazy, like, ridiculous cycle of of just exploiting people. It's insane. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so here's, here's something interesting um, as far as nicotine goes. And we now have the history, of course, and the stats from the 20th century. If you combine the First World War, the Second World War, everyone that Hitler killed, everyone that Stalin <laughs> killed, everyone that Pol Pot killed, yeah. everyone that Mugabe killed, everyone that Saddam Hussein killed, the Korean War and the Vietnam War, all combined together, did not kill as many people as nicotine killed. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is over one... The conservative estimate is over 100 million people mm. so we know this you know nobody's ignorant to what is going on here and this is why I, I question whether you know whether it's possible to get lower than somebody who runs a tobacco company mm. um, and, and and just to show the ignorance that is out there in the community in relationship to this I did a survey uh, dr. Anthea Rhodes from the Royal Children's uh, Hospital she's a pediatrician uh, did a survey to find out you know where parents were at with this kind of thing and they found that only 49 percent of Parents favoured a ban of e-cigarettes in Australia. Mm. You know, and I think I think that at the very best they should be uh, a prescription medication for people who have really struggled with uh, cigarettes. Um, but yeah, this is this is a dangerous thing, and what it is doing it is normalising the use of drugs. And when you normalise the use of drugs, even drugs that have a mild effect then become a gateway, mm. as you know, and as the movie that you watched last night knows demonstrates, they become a gateway to you know much harder drugs and much yeah. worse abuse. Okay, so these things we need to be aware of, particularly those of us who are parents, the danger that is faced by our children, our young people, and of course. Um, people that are using e-cigarettes need to be aware of as well. This is The Downing Family. If that don't make you want to go. John saw a golden city New Jerusalem come down Twelve jasper walls and gates of pearl Such splendor all around And he tells about a river of life That flows beneath the throne Where we'll drink and live eternally In a mansion all our own Oh, if that don't make you want to go Brother, if that don't make you want to go Sister, if that don't make you want to go To heaven, I don't know what does
heartache there And no more curse of sin No sickness and no cross to bear And death can't enter in No fighting and no battlefields No war, no enemy Where the lamb and lion lay side by side In that land of perfect peace Oh, if that don't make you want to go teacher. Woohoo! But you want a bit more. Hmm. You are ready to upskill. Maybe you're eyeing off head of department, education director, or even principal. Further your career by studying a Master of Education at Avondale University College. Just think of the difference you're making now and think of the difference you could make with a Master of Education. Avondale University College. Called to be an educator? Called to be at Avondale. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Welcome. At Hamilton Adventist Church in Newcastle, we have a food pantry service for the community. Everyone is welcome to join us for a free dinner. Enjoy good company and have a great time. All you need is $10 to buy a numbered ticket and you can collect a trolley's load of food ranging from fruits, veggies, tin food, pasta bread and toiletries. Every Thursday, the food pantry starts at 4.45pm with a 5pm start for dinner. Find us at Hamilton Adventist Church at 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton, every Thursday evening. All will be welcomed with love and a smile. We really hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Faith FM, getting on, on track with our, our scheduling here. Um, we have come to our, the time of guest interview, but before we do, uh, we'll give another clue for the quiz. The angel of the Lord told me um, to go back to my mistress and submit to her. 
So, so far, man, okay, so we have a, a bit of a narrative here. After giving me food and water, my husband sent me off on my way, and I wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Then the angel of the Lord told me that he would make my son into a great nation. Then the angel of the Lord told me to go back to my mistress and submit to her. There you go. Okay. All right. If you know who it is, 1-800-324-843, or text us on 0491-064-669. Joining us on the phone this morning is one of our monthly regulars, Barand Newstratton. Barand, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lyle. Glad to be with you. Fantastic. We've been working through the uh, book of Genesis, particularly the early chapters of Genesis. We're in chapter 6, and last time we talked about the Nephilim. We talked about um, you know, the close of probation, I guess, in some ways, um, the thoughts of men's hearts being only evil continually. Uh, yeah. But God decides to do something about humanity. He's at a point where he could almost wipe out the whole of humanity, but he chooses not to do so. And that's where we really pick this story up today. Uh, why Why does God decide not to do so? And how does he choose to preserve humanity? Yeah. The, the reality is that since the fall, with Adam and Eve, there is the necessity for a redeemer. And a, a redeemer that can only be done through an incarnation of God himself. <coughs> and Genesis 3.15 alludes to that and, and actually spells that out, that the seed of the woman would have to crush the head of the serpent. And so that, that is to break his power. And only he could do that. And so uh, it was necessary for the propagation and the continuation of the human race because the Messiah had to come forth from the human race. Now, we find something a little bit different happening here in the lead up to the flood, um, and that is where God sort of specifies, you know, 120 years. There's 120 years and then this, this, this flood is going to happen. So you've got 120 years and basically probation closes on humanity and, it, it, you know, it, it, it's all over except for those who are saved. Um, so in effect, God gives a date, so to speak, for the beginning of the flood. If we look at that in comparison to the return of Christ, there's some definite parallels here. You've got a, a closing of probation, a close of an opportunity for salvation, but you don't have yeah. a date. Why does God give a date one time and, and, a, and not another time? Do we, do we know the answer for this? Yeah, that is fascinating. I think that in the case of Noah and his era, that uh, God gave a, a definite time, the 120 years, as you said, and that is for people to uh, obviously repent and, and turn to him. Uh, the warning was, was given there and the time frame was given there as an inducement that, and uh, to make him understand, as God said, that his spirit would not always strive this man. And there was a probation that indeed, yeah, there was a time given, whereas now today we have not. Our probation closes the day we die or... Uh, could even be before if we keep on turning our back to the Holy Spirit. Um, I think it was an inducement for people to realize that there was a purpose in the building of the ark. The flood was going to come. It had to come. That was a sermon in itself, the actual construction of the ark. You know, every day working on it was a sermon about a judgment to come. And uh, so I think that, that God wisely put an, a time frame on it 
to let people know it was not indefinite. When Longer no, ages as well. Certainly, yes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. <clears throat> when Noah starts building this ark and speaking about, you know, preaching about the coming of the flood, how realistic yeah. would that have sounded to the antediluvians at that particular time, those who were living before the flood? How, how realistic would it have sounded if, you know, if, uh, if it, you know, when Noah starts saying, you know, 120 years and God is going to yeah. flood the entire planet? Yeah. Well, can you imagine the ecological realities of the antediluvian world are so different, totally different, obviously, from what we know today. There were no major airflows. There were just gentle airflows. There was no uh, precipitation of rain. It just wasn't there because the conditions were not met to have that phenomenon. So there's no rain. There is no flood, no earthquake, no way that that massive structure could possibly be directed to water. And we don't know where it was built because... The landmass uh, was very different in a different location, perhaps. Uh, it was very differently distributed. The ratio of land to, to sea or ocean would have been completely uh, different from what it is today. How do you get a big boat like that to the ocean? That is one thing. The other thing is, uh, even if the ocean had to come to the boat, well, that had never happened. No floods, no rains, no storms, no earthquakes. That was all foreign to them. There was a complete stability of the Earth's crust. Okay, so scientists at the time would have been able to observe the laws of nature, <clears throat> and we talk about the laws of nature, and when we, when, we, when we use the language of laws of nature, the implication is there that these are things that are fixed and unchanging. Yeah. yeah. Would, they have, well, would they have seen it in the same way? Yes, I think they would have. Indeed, that's what what they saw the same way. It's not that they were atheists. It's not that they didn't believe in God. They just didn't believe the God they believed in. And that is the problem, and that's still the problem today. It's not so much a denial of the existence of God, but it is a uh, an unwillingness to accept what God is actually saying, the expression of his will and his directions. And this is where the problem comes in. So they didn't think that God would ever do that. They just didn't believe it. Sure. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. interesting, particularly when we put it in the context of, you know, the return of Christ and the Bible talk about, you know, the, the surface of the earth being, you know, yeah. <laughs> the elements melting with, uh, with heat and the surface of the earth being melted, you know, yeah. with the laws of nature as we understand them now through observation, we don't see... A scenario in which the whole surface of the Earth would just melt, but yeah, you know, which, the, the which, is, which is interesting. As you say that, I mean, we look at some of the phenomenon that we see today. Uh, that you say, well, I've never seen it like this. I've never seen uh, uh, fires. Let's take the fires that we have suffered from Dante, the subsequent flooding, the rain, the storm. Uh, there seem to be excesses. Uh, I mean, it's not the first time, but. Uh, that, that, that the forces of nature are, are, are known to us. I mean, there are uh, earthquakes, there are tremendous, uh, uh, you know, uh, the very bark of all around the earth. It is very interesting when you look at the ratio of the actual uh, frequency of volcanic um, eruption 
has been a lot higher actually uh, in the last century or so. So there is a there is a what shall I say um, a, a global reality that says that that natural disasters could easily increase what it, whatever it would take, but it could easily happen. And of course, it will be certainly as God and as all the angels will approach this planet. I can imagine the power field that will come to this world, and that certainly will cause tremendous upheavals. And the book of Revelation gives us so much details on that. It certainly does, and what it reveals also, you know, when we look at the flood story, is that there are laws of nature that we just simply have not yet observed, you know? No, that's <laughs> right. I agree. That's right. Uh, so, and God can override, I mean, and that's the, the most important thing. Yes, God absolutely. can override any law of nature. He puts them there in the first place. So whilst he normally works by them, he can override them any time. Baron, let's come on to the, uh, to the structure of the ark. She was a, a very large ship, probably, I, I believe, the largest wooden ship ever built. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And even, by- even by today's standards... She was she was Master. a decent sized ship. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you took it uh, say in feet, it would be about depending what you credit to be the precise size of a cupid. But let's say five hundred and fifteen feet long, it would be sort of eighty five, eighty six feet wide, a ratio one to six length and and uh, and width, and a height of fifty two feet roughly. And then if you like to have it in meters, one hundred and fifty seven meters. Uh, long, 86 meters wide, and 16 meters high. That's quite a, that's an enormous structure. Okay, so that's a, that's a big, that's a very, very big wooden ship. Would she have been yeah. big enough to hold, <clears throat> and this is a question that we often get asked, all the different species that exist on our planet today? Yeah, we've got to understand that the species that we're looking at today uh, is, uh, is an accumulation of, of, of variations within the kind. Uh, if you take the dogs, the cats, how many different types there are, uh, look at ducks, there are 500 different species of, of ducks, but they're all ducks. And all those different types of dogs are dogs, etc. And it applies to cats and all the others. So when you go to more closer to a prototype presentation like you would have had there in the antediluvian time, and you you try to calculate, you can probably around about 38,000 to 40,000 animals. In fact, it's been converted to perhaps a capacity of 120,000 sheep that you could have put inside the ark with the food for a year, provisions for a year, and you would have had about 40 to 45% occupancy rate. So there was plenty of room for others. Wow, and if yeah. there had been, <clears throat> if there had been, say, more of the antediluvian population that had wanted to be on the ark than could be fitted on the ark, absolutely. Um, what would what would God's God's solution been have, have been there? Yeah, suppose that there would have been. I always pondered upon that. Let's say that people did convert, particularly particularly when the animals presented themselves and walked into the ark. Uh, that must have made an enormous impression uh, as, a, as, a, as an occurrence. That was absolutely Unnatural. extraordinary. Uh, but, you know, their hearts were so hard 
they 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 still kept on mocking and uh, obviously refusing. Had there been enough people to fill the ark, God would not have brought about the flood. Right. Yeah, that's a thought that I've I've not pondered before either. Um, and I guess one of, the, one of the thoughts that I've pondered is if people had truly converted earlier on when it when, when there was yeah. enough time, then possibly other arcs could have been built as well. Take Sodom and Gomorrah. If there would have been ten righteous, he wouldn't have done it for the sake of the ten righteous. That's a very good parallel right there. I appreciate that. And yeah. then, And then, let's face it, whilst we are often ridiculed for what we may believe or may not believe, the world should be indebted to those who follow Christ and 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 worship the true God, because it's because of them that truly uh, it hasn't been uh, the probation hasn't closed yet. Mm, mm. Coming back to the ratio of the ark, is there any significance yeah. to the ratio of the ark? I've been told this is a very stable uh, ratio. Yeah, so it had no rudder because God directed it. Um, it would have been subject to massive movements and uh, it would have been a frightening ordeal to the, the eight um, people aboard the ark and, and, of course, all the animals. Uh, but the stability was uh, the best uh, the best design. It was meant to, to float. It was meant... Uh, it was a maximum stability. Uh, and uh, those who are in building boats and... Uh, uh, and all the nautical sciences have recognized that this was the most ideal ratio that you could come up with. So basically, what we, we're not dealing here with a ship that's going to go on a voyage. We're dealing with a no. life raft, and we're building it for stability rather than for um, <clears throat> for its ability to be able to move through the water. So you've, you've basically got an enormous life raft that we have here. Yeah, absolutely. We have a floating three-story hotel if you like it's basically what it is yep and uh, you you have to bear in mind that man was stronger and taller and and, and more you know physically capable uh, even though you might have had 100 120 years to build obviously when he started uh, when the time was given he didn't have his sons yet so his sons came along later the oldest was about 100 years old then they moved into the ark so he must have made provisions on his own. He might have been helped, uh, you know, by, uh, well, Methuselah died Methuselah. in the year of the flood. And, uh, his father, Lameth, died uh, five years before the flood. So there would have been others perhaps assisting him. But, uh, yeah, it's quite, a, it's quite an enterprise to get into. Mm, it is. Uh, when there's just you and a few that to help you. Yeah. Baron, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're going to come back uh, next month. We want to talk about next month the uh, the animals coming onto the ark and, 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 and the numbers that came on, how they came on and so forth, and the actual flood itself. But right now we have to uh, move on with our show. This is uh, Dolly Parton with The Master's Hand. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. In the days before the flood, the world grew wicked and corrupt, but Noah was a good man, and the Lord unto him came. And he said to Noah, go build an ark, Noah did, and the sky got dark, and a great flood destroyed everything, except for Noah and his wife, and their three sons and their wives. 
wise and a pair of every kind of creature walking in the land. And the people mocked and they made fun, but oh no work till it was done. But he was holding to the master's hand. The master's hand is always held out to us. And it will lead us to the promised land. And the evil of this world cannot outdo us if we are holding to the master's hand. Three Hebrew children in days of old were marched into the fiery coals, 'cause they would not deny the Lord. Would not obey command, and the furnace roared like a mighty storm. But the Hebrew children saw no harm. The flame was smothered by the master's hand. The Hebrew children loved their God, and with them in the flames he tried to show the world that he was king and ruler over man. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had no fear of the fire. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Bye. 